We're in Acts 4 tonight, continuing our series in the Acts of the Apostles. Much has happened already that our pastor has brought us through. Jesus has ascended. Peter has preached at Pentecost where thousands come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Now the church has began to start to gain ground and by the end of chapter two, we're left with a, a beautiful picture of what the church can be. In chapter three, it shows us Peter and John being used by God to miraculously work and heal a lame beggar. Peter then begins to preach a second sermon. It is declaring Christ crucified and Christ resurrected and he's soon interrupted. I want you to turn your attention to chapter four. If you haven't already turned there, I want you to turn there now. I want us to look at those first couple of verses in chapter four, verses one and two. Look there with me. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Just when things are good, getting good and, and Peter is preaching, he's interrupted. Now nobody likes to be interrupted, but I tell you who really, really doesn't like to be interrupted are preachers. We've all been to the services where the microphone stops working. Hopefully that won't happen tonight. And the service is interrupted and the pastor is talking to the sound booth. Can you hear me now? You want me to use the handheld? Should I use this one? Should I use this one, right? And there's a lot of static and they don't know what to do and the services stop momentarily. Preachers don't like that when that happens. I'm convinced that sometimes the devil enters the sound system. Maybe a baby cries and interrupts the service, that, that happens. Maybe a, a child in the balcony lovingly drops something below them, right? As I look out on Sunday mornings, I'm convinced there's a lot of children who are just biding their time, dreaming of when they can make a paper airplane out of that bulletin and just land that baby on stage, really liven things up around here. There's all kinds of interruptions that can happen to stop a preacher, but I would have to say, in our current culture, the undisputed interrupter is the cell phone, isn't it? We've all had that unfortunate occasion when we forget to silence it or we forget to power it down. It's all happened to us, but we look at those people who forget to do that with such disdain, don't we? Their phone goes off and we're like, oh. You monster, <laughs> cannot believe that. And then we casually look down at ours to make sure it's off. Thank you very much. It's interesting the ringtone that people have that you hear in church, you can tell a lot about them. And how is it that half the time that someone's phone goes off, it's the William Tell Overture, that MIDI tone. I don't know if I'm more amazed that they have their phone on in church or that they still have service on that Nokia from 1999. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting thing. 
And I think we all can agree that the right thing to do is to try to turn that off as fast as you can. And we've all been that panic-stricken person who starts to play whack-a-mole to find it, to turn it off so we can stop the ringing. But there's also those people who just answer the phone. It doesn't happen very often in church. It's kind of like, I don't know, seeing a comet or something. You have to really enjoy it when it comes by, when someone calls and they answer their phone in the church. Why are you calling me? I'm in church. And they have the kind of that whisper yell. But worst of all, worst of all, the worst interruption that you can get from a cell phone is the person who just ignores it. What are you talking about? What phone? The one that's ringing, that's obviously yours. I remember being in a service one time where a teenage girl just ignored the phone. I'm not sure she'd been listening the whole time, but all of a sudden she'd received a word from the Lord and she's just sitting there glued to the preacher. Her phone is going off over and over and over, but she's just staring at the preacher. Everyone around her knows that's your phone. We all really want you to answer it just staring at the preacher. Several rounds go off, right? Answer the phone, answer the phone. I know better than to reach in a girl's handbag and pull out the phone, but I thought about it, (laughs) thought about it, thought about picking that thing up and throwing it in the baptistry for the glory of God, amen? (laughs) And I feel like applause would have broke out, revival might have happened. Nobody likes to be interrupted, but preachers, preachers really don't want to be interrupted. Things were going in the right direction for the apostles. Souls were being saved. The church was growing. It was exploding. People were being healed with the power of Jesus, but then, then they're interrupted. Up until this point in Acts, there really hadn't been resistance in the church to the Christians that were there working on the part of the Jews. The picture had been of general acceptance by the people and favor from the people, but not everyone was happy about what's going on. Read on with me in verse three. And they laid hands on them, put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men that came was about 5,000. They arrested Peter and John. They put them in jail. Work was over for that day. They were finished meeting, and so they would have to be detained, waiting in jail until things opened up the next day. See, in this sermon, even though it was interrupted, it was no failure. Thousands had been saved. The Bible tells us that 5,000 men had come to that knowledge. Look at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all of those who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? See, what had happened was, is they had brought them in when the council was meeting again. They began to question them, interrogate them. 
Picture in your mind a half circle, and that's how this Sanhedrin met. It's like a, a circle cut in half, and they would be turned that way in which they could see one another and communicate easily. And there in the midst of that difficult situation, amongst those religious leaders fresh out of jail, Peter and John are placed in the middle of it. They begin to be questioned. See, this is the same council that a few months before had condemned Jesus to die. They recognized Peter and John as the associates of Jesus. They were to to protect the Jewish teaching and the Jewish faith. This means that they had to examine these new teachers and the new teachings that appeared in the land. They had to investigate what the church was doing, but they didn't have the right to arrest innocent men and not to honestly evaluate what was happening. They placed them there into the center of the group and begin to question them. They're irritated with the apostles. What are you doing? What's going on? What's been happening? Verse eight, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, by the way, isn't that a good lesson for our language before we speak? Lord, make our language filled and filtered by the Holy Spirit. Rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man had been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected of you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Speaking with irony, he says, are we on trial for doing something good? The man that's been healed from his infirmities, is that why we're here? Because this man has been healed, this man has suffered during his life and he's finally found healing and now you want to hold us responsible for it? Well, this wasn't done in our own power, but by the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, the same Jesus whom you crucified, the one that you threw away, the one you treated as trash, the one that had been rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, that is bold, confident, courageous speaking from the apostle. This rejected stone, Christ rejected by the nation in their crucifying them, he is the resurrected Lord. There's a few things throughout this that I want us to take note of, not just that we learned this passage, but they're important for us to understand. They're important for us as modern day believers to consider what the apostles did, their attitudes. First thing I want you to consider as we go through this and we learn about this passage is that interruptions are often opportunities. 
interruptions are often opportunities. The, the rug had been pulled out from underneath these apostles. In the midst of their working and proclaiming and healing and doing what God had called them to do, all of a sudden, everything stops and the work is interrupted. And the apostles use this interruption as an opportunity to testify of what God is doing to a room of some of the most powerful people. Interruptions are often opportunities. Do you know what? Interruptions in your life are often opportunities as well. When it seems that you've been put on the sideline, when the rug's been pulled out from underneath you, when things were going one way and it seems everything is diverted and we feel like, God, what are you doing? Things seem to be going so well. I seem to be following your plan and yet here it is interrupted. It's often in those moments and in those seasons just as the apostles experienced that God gives us opportunity for influence. He gives us opportunity to speak of his name, his crucifixion, his resurrection. Interruptions are often opportunities. I want you to think about that this evening. Verses 13 and 14, now as they observe the confidence of Peter and John, and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. The authorities were astonished. They, they couldn't believe it. These were unschooled unlearned, or what the word really means is illiterate men, yet they spoke with such courage, with such passionate confidence about what was going to happen and what had been happening and who was in control and in whose name these miracles were happening. It left the Sanhedrin amazed. The men sitting there in the Sanhedrin, the ones who had crucified the Christ, they couldn't believe the passion, the courage, the confidence. They were the ones that were supposed to know it all, and yet somehow the guys in the circle weren't the ones that mattered. The ones that were being used were in the middle. The ones that God was miraculously working through were the, the men in the middle who weren't the brightest, who didn't seem to be the best, who didn't have it all figured out, and yet God was working miracles through their ministry. The thing they said was they had recognized that they had been with Jesus People recognize that you've been with Jesus. Do you know what will prepare you for the calling that God has for you? Being with Jesus. 
Do you know what will give you the confidence, the courage to testify of your Savior like the apostles being with Jesus? See, this time it wasn't what they knew, it was who they knew that gave them the confidence to proclaim the gospel, to silence the Sanhedrin. I want you to see that interruptions are often opportunities, but I also want you to see that confidence comes through Christ. It wasn't training. It wasn't this education that they had had. It was the fact that they had been with Jesus that they had walked with him, that they had followed him, that gave him this passion, this confidence that would silence the Sanhedrin. Sometimes we feel like as we go through life that maybe we don't know enough for God to use us. Or we don't know enough to get involved We haven't studied that enough to really have an understanding for God to use us in that way. Does being educated help? Yes. Is our effort to know about God, to study his word, is that warranted? Absolutely. I'll tell you what. What will give you confidence in those difficulties when Like Peter and John, when they're surrounded by the Sanhedrin, when the trouble of life surrounds us, the confidence that being with Jesus provides us is immeasurable. See, interruptions are often opportunities, and their confidence comes through Christ. I want you to look at verse 23 with me. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they had heard this, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. See, they had Peter and John, they had them go out. They wanted to discuss things after they had had this testimony. They wanted to consider what had happened and what had been spoken. And they said, you know what? There's no denying that God has healed this person, that God has done a miracle through this man, through these apostles. There's no denying what God has done. So I'll tell you what let's do Maybe we can just refuse that they, or ask them to refuse to use the name of Jesus, that they wouldn't deliberately say that. And there they were, talking amongst themselves about what to do. There's no way we can deny it. How do we address this? And you know what? There's, there's truly, there's truly no way to deny the evidence of a life changed of miraculous healing. There's no denying the work of Jesus. And once we learn to understand that, when we begin to live in that reality, we too can't keep quiet about it. Though the world tries to threaten us, though the world tries to muffle it, we can't help but cry out, but to testify as 
Peter and John would say, of what we have seen and what we have heard. Their confidence came through Christ. I want you to continue reading with me in verse 24. When they had heard this, they lifted their voices. This again is when they had been released. They lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the seas and all that is in them, who by the Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence while you extend your hand to heal in signs and wonders and take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. In this community's prayer, the reference to the threat of enemies is given in the form of scriptural proof. In fact, the scripture is the exact Septuagintal rendering of Psalm 2, 1 through 2, and is presented as prophecy spoken by God through David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So now Peter and John prayed for God's power to be manifested in great boldness for this apostolic church. They also petitioned the the Lord for supernatural ability to heal, to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. So they're released now. They've been let go. They really don't have anything to hold them on. They're upset that they've been talking about Jesus using his name. In fact, they don't even speak his name, they just say that this has been done. This has happened. And this man is standing before us. But these incredible, miraculous things have happened. They release them. They tell them, you know, don't say the name of Jesus anymore. Don't heal. Don't do these things. Don't speak of Jesus They say, listen, we can't hold these things in. What we've seen, what we've heard, we can't just hold on to. They're then released and this incredible prayer happens and they pray and they ask God for the ability to heal and perform these miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. I've always been amazed at this passage because I'm thinking about the situation they've been in, the difficult times that are ahead, having been in jail. And you know what they don't pray for? They don't pray for protection. They don't pray for safety. They don't pray for deliverance in those moments. Those are good prayers, warranted prayers. But their focus in this passage is doing the work of God, advancing the church in his mission. And they pray for boldness 
for courage, for confidence. The result is through this prayer, the place they are in begins to shake and the Holy Spirit fills that place. These apostles, they show us as modern believers that interruption is often an opportunity. They show us as well that their confidence came from Christ and their relationship and time with him. And they show us that there's power in prayer. There's power found in prayer. Recently, my wife and I came into our garage and found something amiss. In our garage, we have to keep our trash there temporarily. We don't have an alley, and so we have a trash service that comes and periodically will come and pick up the trash. Well, we came into the garage one day, and it just smelled awful. And we couldn't figure it out because the trash had only been in there for just a little while. So we couldn't figure out, why is this happening? Why is it so bad? It's surely got to be some food that's gone bad, something. But we'll take it out, and everything will be okay as soon as that's picked up. Well, the day comes when it's picked up, and guess what? The garage still stinks. I have uh, just turned it over to the Lord's will. I'm not real worried about it. But my wife has an investigative nose, and so she keeps checking things around, trying to figure out what this terrible smell may be. Maybe a rodent has passed, something like that. But she finds her way to our uh, deep freeze freezer. Mm. And uh, she opens it up and just finds a crime scene in there. Um, the plug had gotten unplugged, and over the course of several days in the heat, things had gone terribly, terribly wrong in there. And I remember walking out and seeing my wife shortly after that, and she was very, very close to being very, very sick. You know, what I've learned is often when things go wrong in our life, Either we're plugged into our own power or we've unplugged from the real power source. When something starts to stink, when things go bad, when, when things aren't working like they once were, we've unplugged ourselves from where we know that power comes from. When the apostles are released, they rejoice over what God had done and his sovereignty but they quickly go to where they know the power is and they go to him and they understand the power of prayer and they seek him out and they ask for his help and they ask that they would be used to do miraculous things in the church around them and in the lives of people that God had placed near them. The result was as the place shook when God's spirit began to work and began to fill the place. Do you ever need shaking? Do you ever need God's spirit to shake you? Do you ever need to be so aware and so filled with God's power that it, that it shakes you? 
This is a special time in scripture where they had come out of such a difficult moment and God's power was so evident and so real. But listen, there's a lesson for us. There's a lesson for us. There's power in prayer. Would you look at the final verses? Let's look at verses 32 through 36. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed anything belonging to them was his own, but all things were common property to them, and there was great power. And the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was, now, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, bought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. The apostles teach us interruption often leads to opportunity and confidence comes through Christ and the power that they lived in was found through prayer. Now in this passage, every evidence is that the early Christian church practice was wholly voluntary, this communal type of help. There was no transfer of ownership, no control of production or income, no requirement to surrender one's property to the community. But when they saw a need, they were there for one another. Final thing I think we can learn from the apostles is that we see this community of Christ's care. Are you there when your brother or your sister has a need? Do you help when you can? To use the finances and the resources that God has blessed you with to bless one another. Here we have a picture in this early church. This church that the apostles were a part of. They had one heart and one soul. What a beautiful picture of unity. See, in this chapter, the, the rug is pulled out from what seems to be God's work. What the apostles are doing, how the early church is flourishing. But God continues to use the apostles. Even though they're imprisoned, they're able to go before these religious leaders and speak of what Jesus is doing and how his work is still happening and the power in his name. And though they tried to snuff out his life, he's still working miraculously. They're able to be released and to rejoice with their church, to, to pray together, to petition the Lord for his power once again, to go back to a community of believers who show Christ's care. We can learn so much from these apostles. That interruptions are often just opportunities. That our confidence comes from Christ. That power is found in prayer and that in those seasons, a community of Christ caring for one another is a beautiful thing. Now next week, we have our stewardship lesson in Sunday school and Ananias and Sapphira on Sunday night. 
So y'all be careful this week. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the opportunity to go through and study this passage and the early work in the church and how you use these apostles in a mighty way. And this is just an early glimpse of what the church was and could be, but things, things don't always stay as they once were. But God, help us to, to see those snapshots. God, how you use these great men in this early church to accomplish your purposes. God, help us to follow suit. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.